indoors and celebrate in here. Well, yes, that time of year has come round again. Hello, this is Ruthie G welcoming you to the LibriVox 9th anniversary podcast. Well, this time I was not going to go back through the history of LibriVox again. So we set our LibriVoxateers a challenge. And quite a few of you responded, I'm glad to say. And my first caller was one of my fellow admins. So we had a nice old natter. Hello, Ruth. Hello, Marianne. How lovely to hear your voice. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, I often hear your voice, but I don't often get to talk to you. You know, always looking for a party at LibriVox, and so I would not have missed the ninth anniversary celebration for the world. I hope you enjoyed the fireworks. Yeah, we do have a lot to celebrate this year. It has been a very eventful year, hasn't it? It certainly has. This time last year, we were all beavering away like mad things, trying to get everything ready for the big changeover. Yeah, well, we had a lot to celebrate last year, didn't we? Certainly did. You know, one of the first things that comes to my mind is last September... We launched the new website at LibriVox.org. We all needed a rest after that. Totally new look and feel to the catalog. It is good. New search function. Just... I mean, it has its little foibles, but uh, on the whole, it's a vast improvement. It was just, what a wonderful improvement. I mean, that was, it was a lot of hard work, but man, was that an improvement. I was rather fond of the old catalog, because that's how it had always been. But it certainly had its limitations. Yeah, you know, I always kind of think of it as like back office software because the listening public doesn't see it. But for those of us who are involved in reading and proof listening and just tracking sections on the projects that are in process, having that new system behind the scenes for cataloging really has helped a lot as well. It is a fantastic improvement. Oh, the many times I've had to take all the sections out, put them in a spreadsheet, and then put them all back so that I can change the order of the sections. Now we can just whiz the sections around at will. Mm -hmm. It really does make a difference. Yeah, that was a wonderful, wonderful development for this last year. And remember, too, that it was... I checked. I checked on this before we spoke. Mm -hmm. Last September, we completed our 7,000th project for LibriVox. And now we're coming up to 8,000. You know, we are almost, we've got another party coming up soon because we are almost at 8,000 and I'm sure that there will be, maybe not a podcast, but there'll be something behind the scenes and a blog post to celebrate 8,000. We're probably a couple months away from that, but it's coming, so. Oh, it's not very far away. Last time I looked, there were just under 100 to go. And during this last year, we've catalogued our thousands non-English project as well which is a major achievement. It's over 1,100 now, in umpteen languages. Well, a little bit more of that later. But here is Don Daxoft on the forums to tell us how he got to LibriVox and what he's doing now that he's here. Hi, I'm Daxoft, otherwise known as Don, and I've been a reader for LibriVox for about a year. For me... Recording for LibriVox has been a natural progression from producing ebooks with distributed proofreaders, or DP, the main source of ebooks for Project Gutenberg, or PG. It's really easy for me to choose what to record. I like recording the ebooks I've produced for PG. 
I recorded one solo so far, and I'm in the process of recording two more. And since I've produced over 50 e-books from public domain books, I've got a lot of material lined up. So I guess the real question is, what books do I want to find and process so that I can then record them? As an avid reader during my childhood and teen years, I enjoyed, no devoured, such series as The Hardy Boys, Tom Swift, Jr., The Black Stallion, and others. When I started looking for books, I wanted to find similar, earlier juvenile series that youngsters today might enjoy and that were in the public domain. I was surprised and gratified to find series such as the original Tom Swift, Baseball Joe, The Motor Boys, and many others, and the latter two number among my contributions to PG. In fact, I'm currently recording for LibriVox the second book in the Baseball Joe series, after having completed recording the first, and have a goal of recording the rest of the 14-volume series, except for the four not yet in public domain. Part of my preparation for creating e-books is a read-through before submission, called Smooth Reading. I began reading the books aloud to my various nephews. They really seemed to like the material and my reading to them, which gave me the idea to record the books. From there I found LibriVox, and the rest, as they say, is history. Thanks, Don. I think quite a lot of readers come to us from DP, and we're very glad to have you all. Most of the people who contributed to this podcast are going to tell us how they find things to record, and they're nearly all different. Here is Book Angel 7 to tell us her methods. I get a lot of my recording ideas by association. For example, I'll find a book I like and then look to see if the author wrote anything else. Or sometimes an author will mention another author in a preface, or maybe one of the characters in a book is seen reading another book. I'll jot that information down and put it in my ever-growing file of titles or authors to look up. Another place I like to look is catalogs of publishers who reprint older books. While the new publisher has probably copyrighted the reprint, it gives me a title or an author to investigate, and sometimes I can find the original version in a public domain source. Actually, commercially published audio dramas can also be a good source if you can follow the threads back to the original version. Probably my favorite success story began when I was reading a book a friend had loaned me which listed only a very recent copyright date, but the style of writing was old-fashioned enough to make me curious. When I looked closer, I found that the story was taken from German, retold by one author, and then updated by another. One of the portions that had been updated was the name of the main character, which was coincidentally the main portion of both the new and original titles. But using the author's name and some keywords from the plot, I was actually able to find a public domain scan of the original source. That's one that I hope to start recording very soon. And lastly, one of the other sources I love is the collections that we put together every year for Christmas and LibriVox's anniversary. I've discovered some real gems there, either through other people's suggestions or through my own desperate searching for something to contribute. I'd never have found them otherwise, and some of them have led to more than just a short piece in a collection. They've either given me a new idea for a solo or a new author to look up that's led to a plethora of titles that I'd never have heard of. Quite the sleuth, Book Angel. And I'm particularly glad that the collections are a good source. Here's Mary in Arkansas, MHH Book on the forums, telling us how LibriVox is full of new adventures for her. I found the questions, how do you decide what to record, where do you look, interesting, as I hadn't thought about it very much. My choices probably start with what I choose not to record. 
I love the classic British novels by Dickens, Trollope, etc., but I'm not good with dialogue or accents. Heck, I can barely do my own accent. I'd much rather listen to the British LibriVox readers and non-British readers who do admirable British accents. For myself, I prefer to record something with more narrative than dialogue. I listened to LibriVox recordings for several years before I took the volunteer plunge with proof listening, then recording. My first recording may have been an abandoned project, as I tend to gravitate towards what I call the poor pitiful pearl kind of thing, such as buying incomplete craft projects at yard sales and finishing them. The subject of my first recording was mostly unfamiliar to me. That appealed to me, as reading about something unknown is a little like exploring a new world. For my own pleasure, I enjoy reading or listening to what I like. But for recording, I enjoy finding something that's new to me. That's what I liked about the Ninth Anniversary and World War I projects. On my own, I never would have looked for something about the early days of the war or something with a nine in the title. So even looking for the name of a project was a new adventure for me. As far as where I look for subjects, I like to check LibriVox's short works section, as well as the abandoned projects. Of course, archive.org has a plethora of subjects that can be recorded for LibriVox. My favorite source is Gutenberg, probably because that was where I first learned about LibriVox. Thanks, Mary. Yes, without Project Gutenberg, I very much doubt whether there could ever have been a LibriVox. We're all indebted to PG. And here is Lucretia, who's dipping her toe into the waters of podcasting for the first time. Luby930 on the forums. Hi, my name is Lucretia. And as I think back on the nearly two and a half years now that I've been a member of LibriVox, I recall with pleasure the many different ways that I've volunteered here. I was very reticent to record at first, but now enjoy it very much. But there are many other ways that I enjoy volunteering here. For instance, I do a great deal of proof listening which has become a very selfish pleasure for me. It's a marvelous way to expand your knowledge or to learn something completely new. I've also enjoyed creating some cover art for a few of our completed projects, but I've discovered that I'm not nearly so talented in the area of graphic arts as other of our members. We also have volunteers who enjoy editing, and who are hugely welcome, particularly in our dramatic readings. And if you are the type who likes to keep things organized and shepherd things through to completion, then get a little bit of experience here at LibriVox, choose your own project, and become a book coordinator. And I'm sure I've missed mentioning other ways that you could help. So if you have browsed our site but aren't sure about recording for us, please know that there are many other enjoyable ways to volunteer here, and I would encourage you to explore them. 
and I want to be sure to mention a comment made by one of our new members, a young man, and this is a direct quote. By the way, LibriVox has the nicest forum I've encountered on the Internet. So know that you will be welcome however you choose to volunteer. Hope to see you on LibriVox soon. Thanks, Lucretia. It's easy to forget that people may be listening to this podcast who haven't actually joined us yet. I'm sure that that would encourage anybody who's listening to come and join in the fun. And now, a little musical interlude. Thank you to Eden Ray Hedrick for the beautiful singing and to Jason Mills, Vandermast on the forums, for the words. Oh, not forgetting old Fred Weatherly, who arranged the music in the first place. And now we're going to hear from Piotr, who has considerably expanded the LibriVox catalogue of works in Polish, as well as recording prolifically in English. Hello, this is Piotr Gritiwan. Um I wanted to say something about what texts I choose to record and why I choose the texts I choose. When I joined LibriVox, I was, as far as I could tell, the only Polish reader. Um, and because of this, I decided I would focus on Polish texts, but it took me some time to actually start recording. Later on, it turned out that because my speech muscles are rather lazy and because I tend to mumble, Recording in Polish is not really that easy for me because it's a language with a lot of consonants, a lot of consonant clusters, which take an effort to pronounce clearly. So I changed my mind and decided to not focus on Polish texts, but do a bit of this and a bit of that. 
So far I've recorded texts in both Polish and English, and right now I'm, I'm in the middle of recording one of the greatest masterpieces of Polish novel. But at the same time I'm also recording a, one of my teenage favorites, that is The Mysterious Island, uh, in English translation. I, I wouldn't be able to say which one, Polish or English, is easier for me to record. As for you know, the sources that I take my texts from, I started knowing basically one website which I could use for Polish texts, and obviously another one was Project Gutenberg, but as I soon found out, they had very small selection of Polish texts, so I decided to focus on PL. Later on, I found more websites, well, basically one more, that focused on Polish texts, and, well, some international ones. One thing which also influences my selection is that I want to be more or less original. If I see that there is already a, an audiobook made from the text which I chose to record, it is very likely that I will choose something else. That is why I usually mm, take a good look at what is available at Wolna Lektury and in what forms it is available because they also seem to have some sort of program for audiobooks where more and more of their texts are recorded and I don't really want to do something that has already been done, especially since I suppose these audiobooks which they have are probably of much better quality than anything that I could offer. Well, they sound pretty good to me, Piotr. Uh, not that I can understand a single word, of course. To my shame, my number of languages is rather limited. Well, here's a bit more of my conversation with Marianne when we actually got to the point a bit. Okay, so I will bring the focus back. Focus, Marianne. Focus on the ninth anniversary. Okay. Yes, back to the subject. So, your question is... How do you find books that you'd like to record? Yeah, well, that's an excellent question. So, let me make a confession first. When I started getting involved with LibriVox, which was five years ago, there were about 3,000 completed works in the catalog. And I honestly thought at that point in time, wow... All the good books have already been read. There's not that much left. <laughs> and boy, was I wrong. <laughs> Just the odd few hundred thousand. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a first impression, which happily turned out to be very, very wrong. So ideas for books. For me, I started with listening to books. Mm. And when I heard a book that I really enjoyed, then... I would look for other books by that same author. Yeah. And so there are a couple of good sites to find those. Um, I do a lot of searching on Project Gutenberg and Internet Archive. And then I also, being in the U.S., have pretty good access through um, Google Books. Ah, uh, I don't. They don't often seem to try to find out even if the author is PD in other places. They just restrict access. And then there's... I know you use Hathie Trust a lot for books. Yes, I do like Hathie Trust. They do have a lot of books that you don't find elsewhere. Yeah, you know, and over the past five years, I've noticed a real uptick in the number of scans of public domain books that are available online. So more and more material is being scanned and put out there that's public domain, which is really good for us because it, it just increases the pool of possibilities for books to read. And magazines too, which are really useful for collections. 
And you know me in collections. I always seem to be doing collections. So other ideas for sources. Um, Project Gutenberg is putting out new books all the time, and they have a pretty nice feature on their website in that you can look at their new releases. Their books cover the whole gambit of fiction, nonfiction, subject matters, variety of languages as well. So um, They tweet their new releases too. When you look at things that are just out, it's, it's a real mixed bag, and you can get some good ideas there too, just for things that might, maybe you didn't, you've never heard of this book before, but the cover looks interesting. So that's an idea. There's a really useful site called the Online Books page at Penn University. You can search by title, author, subject, and it has links to all sorts of sites with um, scans and transcriptions. It's not all in the public domain uh, by any means, but if you're careful, you can find a huge amount of content there. Let me just check the URL. It's onlinebooks.library.upenn.edu. It also has in the serials listings all kinds of magazines and where you can find the scans of them. Another one I use for magazine articles is unz.org or unz.org. It isn't exactly an easy site to negotiate, but it is an absolute treasure trove. Yeah, so another place that's been really fruitful for me to find ideas is the book suggestions forum. Some some of our readers post ideas for books that they've seen that they would not be interested in reading themselves, but they think somebody else might have an interest in. Ah, yes, you've just got your latest solo from there, haven't you? And then sometimes we have listeners who would really like to hear a particular book, and so they post it as an idea in hopes that it will grab the attention of some potential reader um, and get started as a project. So yeah, last year somebody posted the Underground Railroad book that had just come out on Project Gutenberg in the book suggestions thread, and it was not something that I wanted to read as a solo but I thought it would be a really interesting book, and so I coordinated it as a group project, and that turned out to be just an excellent, excellent idea. was so happy with the finished product and the covers that Catherine put together. Just the whole, the whole project came together really well, and, and I would never have found that book except somebody posted it on the book suggestions thread, so that was really cool. Yes, there really are just so many good books still crying out to be recorded. There's never going to be a shortage, that's for sure. Well, yeah, you know, another thing that I that I saw recently, which has been very, very intriguing to me, is Carolyn posted um, a list of authors who had won the Nobel Prize for Literature. And then she and others, she started it, but others have come along to help fill it in, have been posting books by those authors that are in the public domain. Mm. And so there's some authors that, I really wasn't familiar with because they're so old, but these are people that won the Nobel Prize for Literature. I mean, they're good authors, right? You don't win that by being a schmuck. Uh, no, you don't. Um, so I've I've been watching that thread and doing a little research, and I've got a couple things in mind that I would like to put high up on my wish list for reading. I'm not going to say what they are because I think they're really great ideas and I don't want someone to snatch them from me, but... Choice of voice, Marianne, choice of voice. Um, yeah, I've got a couple ideas coming up that, that I think will be really good from that, from that post, so... 
Yeah, and the Ambleside list that you maintain. And then somebody recently um, had posted like the Wilkie Collins books that had not been read yet. And there's been some conversation about was there anything by Edgar Allan Poe that had not been read. And so, you know, people are really good at ferreting stuff out as well and trying to get some of the more famous authors, make sure we have complete coverage of their works. And yeah, there's a lot of good things going on in that book suggestion forum. That's a good place to be on a regular basis. We'll just say that. Yeah. Well, I think everybody should be able to find something to read with all those suggestions. Sure. Well, I'm glad that I could help. And if there's anything else, let me know. Thanks, Marianne. Bye. Great. Thank you. And here's Maria, Common Sparrow 3 on the forums, with her individual take on finding text sources. How do I decide what to record? When I think about that, I realize there's a pattern. I go to my public library and take out a book to read, and in the course of reading it, I find myself curious enough to want to follow up on the author's sources. For instance, I had a book out of the library about the history of the U.S. Lighthouse Service. In the course of this book, the author quoted quite often from one source in particular, and that was Instructions to Lighthouse Keepers. It came out in a new edition every few years to take in new equipment and new procedures. I went looking online to see if there was a copy of it available, found one, read it for LibriVox. More recently, I had a library book called The Woman Who Dared to Vote by N.E.H. Hull. It was about the trial of Susan B. Anthony after she voted in the 1872 presidential election. In the course of this book, the author quoted extensively from the transcripts of the trial. I really wanted to see more of those transcripts. I found a copy of them had been published by our local newspaper shortly after the trial. Well, that became my current LibriVox project. So in answer to the question, where do I find my projects, I look in the bibliographies of whatever books I'm currently reading. I love original source material. When I was in high school, one of the librarians introduced me to the newspaper files in the main library downtown. And it just seemed to me this is so much better and more interesting. This was history told at the time by the people who were living it. I want to get it straight from the horse's mouth, or at least from someone who personally knew the horse. After a year and a half at LibriVox, I may be finding my niche as a recorder of strange original source material. And I will admit, instruction books to lighthouse keepers probably would seem a little dry to most people. But I'm assuming there are people like me out there who love this kind of thing. And for that perhaps small number of people like me, I'm adding a little bit more of what interests us to the audio collection. This is what's so absolutely lovely about LibriVox. We record things that we find interesting or enjoyable, and things that commercial audiobook companies would never in a thousand years record. More power to our elbow, I say. Well, one of the challenges we set to LibriVoxers was to tell us about your last nine years. Well, I've only been here six years. But I am going to dust off a little recording I made four years ago. Not to put too fine a point on it, I had a bit of a dental disaster, which could have spelled the end of my recording career, such as it is. It may actually help people who go through what I went through four years ago. Here goes... 
on the principle of getting straight back on a horse after having a nasty fall, I am going to be brave and record this. This is my coming out, to tell you all that I shall not give up. I shall beat it, and I will be back, and anyone else who may suffer a similar problem in the future, keep trying. You'll get there in the end. All the advice that I have read, not from my wealthy dentist who seems to think that appearance is all that matters, is that reading aloud is a very good way to learn to speak clearly again. This sentence is incredibly hard for me to say, but I will. Careful practice and perseverance will produce desired results. It can take quite a while for the tongue to learn how to make the right shape, to make the sound come out absolutely correctly. Again, everywhere I read that reading aloud is good practice. Things will improve, but only if you give them the chance to. And I'm pleased to say that everything did get better, though at the time... I really wondered if it would. And now, pop those corks, get back to the party, and in time-honoured tradition, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. If you'd like to try your hand at acting 
Good night. And a good night to you all.